Morning, everyone. Morning and uh, happy Father's Day, as mentioned already uh, by Yunji. Saying it early for anyone who might have forgotten that it is Father's Day, so you can, you know, maybe buy something on the way home. Um, nice petrol stations around that you can stop by and quickly buy something if you did forget. Um, as mentioned by Yunji, we are New Life. We're a church that gathers together for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. Um, none of us are perfect, but our God is perfect, and that's the one that we look to. And so we take the same approach to fatherhood as well um, and look to our fathers through the lens of the gospel. Uh, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life. Um, how about I pray for us, but it's going to be a bit of a special prayer for fathers, so if you'd like to join with me in that prayer. Father, we pray to you on this Father's Day because you are our great father. This is what scripture tells us, and this is what you reveal to us. And in you, we have a picture of what fatherly love is. We want to pray for our fathers here on earth, and particularly for the fathers of new life. We thank you that in them we see the image of your sacrificial, giving love. Uh, we pray for our dads today while recognizing the pain and the loss that many of us have experienced in our lives. Uh, we know that your grace and healing and restoration speak louder than this pain and loss, and it's you who will have the final word. Because of what your son Jesus accomplished upon the cross when he went out from home to die for us, we know that we stand redeemed, and in this we find our hope for the day and our hope for the future as well, when there will be no more pain, no more loss, no more tears. We lift up those among us who are brokenhearted, those who miss their fathers, those who have never experienced fatherly love, those that have been hurt by their fathers. We ask that you would be near to them, comforting them until the day that your kingdom comes in fullness and you wipe away every tear. Until that day, we thank you that you are near, Father, and that you weep with those who weep. When you are near to us, we ask that you would remind us that even as we long for this love that we may have never lost or that we may have lost or never experienced, the true longing of our hearts is for the greatest love of all, and you're here with us. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son that we might be part of your family once again. Lord, we want to lift up our dads here at New Life, those who may feel unseen, those who toil away at discipling their children, unsure whether they're making a difference in their lives. We pray that you would show them how loved and appreciated they truly are. Fill their hearts with unmatched joy. Remind them that you see them, and they're truly significant in your eyes. Would you give their lives meaning beyond the toil of each day? May our dads find their rest in you, whatever they do, a true rest that restores their souls. Give them the patience and love that you overflow with as they spend their time raising their children to love you, as they seek to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we lift up a prayer for those that are experiencing the pain of infertility or miscarriage, for those that long to be fathers, we ask that you show them that you see them and hear their every prayer. We know that you're a loving father who is never far from us. As your sons and daughters, we know that we're free to boldly approach your throne and request of you the deepest desires of our hearts. So we ask that you would give children to those longing to be fathers. 
We know that you're giver of life, and so we ask that you would give life. And yet we acknowledge that you are the potter and we're the clay. And we ask that you would help us to, above all, trust in your plan as we place our faith and the love in your heart. For those that are mentors and spiritual fathers, we lift up a prayer that you would encourage their hearts as they seek to disciple those in the church. Raise up disciples here at New Life and make it a part of the culture here. We pray that in discipleship, you would help them to grow in their love for you as they lead your people. Nothing is out of sight of your eyes, Father. We pray that we would not only know this, but that we would no longer doubt it, that we would live it. We pray that all men here would feel seen by not only you, but your church. And we pray that they would long to know you more deeply. You never leave us nor forsake us, and you've never been unkind or unjust or unloving. Help our men to know this, and may this cause our hearts to turn to you in love. And we know that you've spared no good thing because you do not spare your son Jesus. Would you cause the sacrifice of a father in the gospel of grace to ring brand new in our hearts this Father's Day? To be a Christian father as an imperfect man is to commit to being transformed by the Spirit, that we may image your perfect and tender love, your loving kindness, your humility and sacrifice. Thank you that in your gospel of grace, our dads find the means to point their children to our great God by looking to him first. And we thank you that in our dads, we can see glimpses of the truly perfect love of our God. We pray that you would pour out your love and tenderness upon them today as you renew their heart's love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we saw how Paul uh, took apart the wisdom of the world. He talked about how God has judged wisdom. He's outsmarted wisdom. He had only called a few of the wise in the city of Corinth to be members of this church. And Paul's own preaching, he admits, was not based in wisdom. And so you might begin to think, as you read through the scripture, that Paul just plain hates wisdom. You know, it almost seems like it. But Paul, in our passage that you heard from uh, Yunji earlier, he talks about speaking wisdom among the mature. Read with me verses 6 to 8. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is saying here that he and the other apostles and preachers in Corinth ironically do speak wisdom. It's ironic. If you think about the last few weeks of preaching that we've been talking about Paul dismantling wisdom, but here he says they do speak wisdom. These are the Christian leaders that the people of the church in Corinth, they either want to idolize or tear down according to their own definitions of wisdom. But what is this wisdom that's being spoken among the mature? We know what it isn't, it isn't the gospel. This wisdom that he's talking about is not the gospel. I know it's like kind of the Sunday school answer. You know, he must be talking about Jesus. He must be talking about the gospel. 
But how do we know that it's not the gospel? Because we know that the gospel is for everyone, not just the mature. Only the mature, however, can receive the entirety of God's teaching on salvation and the Christian life. The immature reject this, and they stand forever in the doorway of Christianity, of fullness of life, and never actually enter in. They are through the door enough to receive salvation, but the immature never experience the fullness of Christian life. They're unable to receive the wisdom of the cross as it applies to day-to-day living in gladness. How would you explain this? So you, if you are around any infants or newborns, you wouldn't necessarily grill up a medium-rare steak for them and try to feed them a little piece of the steak. You wouldn't tell them about how well you cooked it by grilling it first, searing it, and then locking in all the juices, and the baby's just looking at you like, what are you talking about? But on a similar token, those of you who are preparing for Father's Day lunch or dinner, you wouldn't expect to be preparing a nice warm bottle of milk for dear old dad. It would be quite inappropriate and a huge insult, I imagine, to many of your fathers. But could they survive on this bottle of milk for this meal? dinner probably they might be a little bit insulted but they could survive they wouldn't experience though the full joy of the rich complications of flavor in a more mature meal they will be sustained until the next day but they wouldn't experience the fullness of joy now is paul creating division here by suggesting this is there a spiritual elite class of christian in the church spiritually mature believers, and then some sort of lower tier of Christians. No. This would completely dismantle his own argument. You know, he's been talking about how there shouldn't be division in this church in Corinth. The people of the church in Corinth, they've been dividing, and he's trying to dismantle this kind of argument. Last time we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. From that verse onwards, until today, the end of our passage today, Paul has been pointing out that there's only one division in this world that matters for anything. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who have the Spirit, those who do not. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. This is the only division that matters. It's in this division that we see the goal of God's plan. It's the ultimate good for believers, our glory. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. It's a mystery precisely because it is revelation, only able to be revealed by God and not attained by human wisdom. Only believers in Christ can have this mystery unveiled to us by the Spirit of God himself. Verses 10 to 12 read, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. 
we tend to barely even scratch the surface of this infinite God because we exhibit a bit of a lack of desire to get to know him more. We have the means for it, but we don't have the passion for it. But the Spirit searches even the depths of God, we're told. How can the people of the church in Corinth find pride in the wisdom of the world then? How can we trust in our own understanding? We can't. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. As theologian Karl Barth once said, God is known through God alone. You can only know God through God. So how amazing it is that we've received the Spirit of God. Now, everything that Paul is saying here points to the fact that he wants all of the people of the church in Corinth to grow in maturity. He doesn't want anyone to be left behind in this. And by extension, we, we here at New Life, we ought to be moving forward in maturity as well. But if all of us who are believers are given the revelation of the mystery of the, mystery of the gospel, then what actually differentiates the mature from the immature? The difference between the mature and the immature is not about status, but in the way we live in line with the secure and holy Christian identity that we've received from God. How we live in line with these things determines our maturity. Now, we know that Paul wants all of them to receive the wisdom of the cross. This letter that we're reading through, 1 Corinthians, is evidence of this. He's written this letter to tell them, come back to the wisdom of the cross. Grow in maturity in this. But there is a distinction among the people. Some of them accept what Paul has to teach. Some don't. Some are mature and some are not. Christians display maturity by our readiness to receive the word of the cross. Not as a means just for salvation. That's not how we end the journey. Otherwise, those of us who call Jesus Lord would just disappear. But no, it's about receiving the necessary changes that it means for a life of holiness, a life of sanctification as well. Now, it's often a very basic understanding of the gospel that causes us to live in a still unsanctified way. This is hopefully the only time that I'll ever talk about someone being basic, right? Okay, so it's a basic understanding of the gospel that causes us to live in this way. Saying proudly, hey, we're forgiven already. What does it matter? We act like this is an excuse to live as though we're still children of the devil. True children of, God, children of God, though, they look to become more and more like the Father in, instead of taking his grace and his mercy as excuses, as things to be taken advantage of. So the mark of maturity is not mere knowledge. It's the use of this knowledge in order to grow in discernment between good and evil, the growth in wisdom to become a son and daughter of character. We can tell from this letter that Paul expects all followers of Jesus to grow in maturity and to learn and make use of wisdom. Verses 13 to 15 read this. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. 
The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. So who are these spiritual people? It's all Christians. All Christians are spiritual people. We all, who have had the mystery revealed to us by the Spirit, have received the Spirit of God. And only then can we receive Jesus Christ as Lord over our lives, over our deaths, and our resurrections. In contrast, those who do not have the Spirit cannot receive the wisdom of the cross. Cannot. The revelation of the mystery of salvation through Jesus Christ remains a mystery to them because an unspiritual person would see what comes from God's Spirit as foolishness. It doesn't make sense. Without the Spirit of God, we'll be like little children who have yet to understand how to communicate with our parents. And so we're unable to receive what our parents have to say to us and how they're trying to lead us. We don't understand their intentions. We don't understand why they're telling us to do these things, why they're disciplining us. In my mid-20s, after I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the people around me began to see my life change. The things that I was enamored with before Christ started getting replaced very quickly with a passion for Jesus, and people could see it. They're like, what's that little black book that you're reading? When I tell them the Bible, they're like, okay, see you later, okay? One day while out on a walk, you know, I was getting ready for work. While out on a walk, uh, my mom was walking with me, and she was listening to me excitedly talking about church and missions and what I was reading in the Bible. It's all I talk about these days. She asked me about work. I'm sure she was quite tired of hearing about the book of Isaiah for like the, you know, hundredth time. So she asked me about work, and I just brushed it off. I'm like, yeah, it works, you know, work, like we're just selling drinks, whatever. You know, we didn't have, I didn't have much to say about work. And after a little while, my mom looked at me and she remarked, I don't think you're going to be happy until you become a pastor. And so I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, here we go again. I put my hand on her shoulder and I told her, Mom, I've already thought about that. And that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. She's at church today. She's somewhere, you know, not here. In my conversation with my mother, I couldn't understand her intentions. You know, she wanted me to be happy and fulfilled. So she brought up this thing about me becoming a pastor. But in my ignorance, I brushed it off. But not only this, in my prayers to God during this time, I couldn't understand where he was leading me. So I was so certain this was never going to happen. I couldn't envision this kind of future for myself. It was as though I was living still like an unspiritual person, unable to stop and listen and receive what God had in mind. Now, a bit of a spoiler, I've become a pastor since that time. I don't know if you can tell. Here's the amazing thing about our Father God. He's patient. He's loving. He's welcoming. He doesn't lose his temper with me when I don't listen. Was I stuck forever with no means of understanding him because of my inability to see what God had in mind for me then? No, clearly not. This is the difference between the person without the spirit and the spiritual person. Though I was still in my infancy in Christ, and though I was still immature, I had the means to grow in maturity, as all of us do. The Spirit of God. This means that those of us who are not mature can grow in maturity. You're not stuck where you are now. 
The Spirit is the one who accomplishes this in us if we're willing to submit to him. We who are spiritual can bring our questions, our requests, even our lack of understanding to God by the Spirit. And we can ask him to reveal how the wisdom of the cross applies to every situation in our lives. You might remember in the last few weeks how we talked about the fact that Paul is writing to his brothers and sisters in the city of Corinth. It's his brothers and sisters, those who are part of the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. These are Christians that he's writing to. In chapter 3, it says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it yet. In fact, you are still not ready because you're still worldly. What's Paul getting at here? He can't be telling them that they don't have the spirit. We just established this, right? They're Christians. They're spiritual people. But no, this is a rebuke for living as though they don't have the spirit. They continue to live as though they don't have the spirit. He points out that these brothers and sisters of his are worldly, people of the flesh, babies in Christ. These are Christians who are willfully rebellious. They turn away from God's word. They're unrepentant, living unspiritually despite correction, despite discipleship, those who remain in perpetual spiritual infancy. Is this you? This is a searching passage. Maybe this hasn't ever been directly asked of you, but it's worth asking this question. In all kindness, in all gentleness, is this you? Are you spiritually immature? For Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, he recalls the fact that he spoke to them, giving basic spiritual truths, unable to reach deeper into the wisdom of God because they weren't ready yet. They were like babies who can only handle milk and not solid food. Four or five years later, he laments, they're still not ready. Why haven't you grown? They're still acting just like the city around them, worldly, like mere humans. Verses 2 to 4, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another says, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Three times he says this. And in fact, in pointing out the way they behave, this, you know, I love the CSB, but this isn't the best translation because the word behave has a bit of a vague connotation if you think about it. It's, vague, it's you know, how you behave, right? The original word used here, parapteo, okay, this is a Greek word meaning to walk. And we don't really think about this in our day and age because this is a very Jewish term. Aren't you worldly and walking like mere humans. In Jewish thought, this was how they talked about daily living, daily conduct. How you walk is how you live out every day. To walk like mere humans then for us would mean that outside of our gatherings here on Sundays, looking more holistically at the entirety of our lives, day-to-day living, 
how do we live? This is the question that Paul's posing to them. How are you living day to day? Are you living as a spiritual person? Now, I don't want us to beat ourselves up too much about this. For those of us who are thinking about certain people in the church, let's not go there because we're not in the habit of comparison, right? The purpose of this letter wasn't to become more divisive. It's to exhibit grace. And there's grace to be found here, even in Paul's rebuke, because Paul's rebuke brings them back to God's fatherly discipline towards the church in Corinth, and so for us as well. It's a fatherly discipline. Remember, Paul wrote this as a way for them to remember who they are. Their identity is found in their status as saved, adopted sons and daughters of our Father God, just like us. And reminding them of this, he's urging them, live a life worthy of that calling. You are called the son, the daughter of the living God. Live like it. It isn't for the purpose of shame or guilt that they're being called out like this. And the same goes for us today. It's for our good, for our glory, that we be reminded of our identity in Christ. We who have received the revelation of what Jesus did for us have received it by the Spirit. We're adopted, born of God, and ought to live as his sons and daughters. Once again, we who are spiritual can come before God and ask him. And in fact, verse 16 in chapter 2 tells us, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul quotes from Isaiah 40 there, asking who has known the Lord's mind? And in Isaiah 40, the question, the rhetorical question is basically no one. But Paul answers by pointing out, we have the mind of Christ. Those of you who have the mind of Christ, let's put this mind into action by turning to the cross once again. Let's walk in this thought that we might take it back for our daily living. Now, a great way for us to put this into action, to turn to the cross again, is for us to take the communion together. God's forgiveness is available to all who have had their eyes opened, for we're all sinners saved by grace. It's only by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that this grace is made available to us. Now, what is a communion? The communion is an act of remembrance. We look into the past and we see what Jesus did, and this is our act of turning to the cross once again, turning to this past act once again. The communion is also a declaration of our continued dependence upon him. For just as God's grace was what we needed for salvation, we still need his grace for a life of holiness today, for our walk, for our day-to-day -day living as children of God. And so we receive the body and the blood of Jesus as a seal of that grace upon us. The communion is also a glimpse into our future. It's together we participate in a glimpse of the future day that we hope in. The marriage supper of Jesus and the church at our Lord's glorious return. We're going to know fully just as we are known now. Here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. Would you listen to the reading of scripture? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This passage is a great reminder that it's Jesus who bears our sins and we come to the table under his righteousness. This is grace to us. If you call yourself a Christian, you place your own feelings of unworthiness to approach the communion against Christ's all-sufficient worthiness, and he wins every time. The communion is a nourishment for us who are unworthy. We're able to take time to pray, to reflect, and to examine ourselves, and to confess and repent before God, who gives us our righteousness, our new identity in him. And the communion is also a great opportunity for us to welcome those who have not yet received the Spirit to now place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If this is you, we ask that you place your trust in Jesus for your salvation and pray to God now, asking him to open your eyes, to give you revelation regarding his son Jesus, and then also to join us in taking this communion, that you may also make yourself known to us at the conclusion of the service that we can follow up with you. I'm gonna invite New Life's ministry directors to, be, uh, to come to the front of each aisle um, they're going to be standing here, and we'll also have one who's going to attend to the serving volunteers here on stage, uh, in the multimedia room, the children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room as well. The ministry director who's roaming, um, he's going to have the gluten-free communion for those with allergies, and you'll also see a gluten-free sign on the one with gluten-free communion. Um, if you do have allergies, we ask that you uh, stay near either the uh, parents' room or follow the person roaming. Um, and receive the gluten-free communion. Now, please come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion, and then take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to have been served, and then we'll take it together.
everyone's been served, um, then yes, let's open the first layer together. This is the body of Christ given for us. Father, we take part in this communion and we look back to what Jesus did for us upon the cross. He is your obedient, perfect son sent out from heaven willingly being born upon this earth that he might live a life of suffering that he might live a perfect sinless life that he might call your children to you we your children take part in this and we look to the cross of jesus christ again and we ask lord that you would turn our eyes upon this day by day that you would help us lord to grow in maturity that you would help us lord to center our lives upon this central event of Christianity, the thing that defines us. We ask, Lord, for a transformative work in our hearts. Where we have lived selfishly before, help us to be sacrificial, help us to be selfless and giving. Where we have sought to make life about division, help us to be united, help us to be loving. Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts, that you would unite us as one, not only with one another here at New Life, but with your son Jesus, that we might know him as we're known by him. Would you transform us from the inside out and make us into the image of your son Jesus? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.